0: Buenos dias familia, buenos dias, I love it, I love it, It's a pleasure estar con ustedes otra vez esta mañana, um, and I'm grateful to be with you again, if you're new, my name is Misael Gonzalez, and I just want to welcome you to the mission, uh, man I'm grateful for our church, our church has been going through a transition and, and an exciting transition uh, since January. And what we've been doing is really preparing ourselves to love and connect with a community that speaks English and Spanish. And I'm just so grateful because everyone has just been so amazing in preparing for that. As we look out in the community and say, man, let's be passionate to see bilingual communities restored by Christ. And so, As we've been walking uh, through that, one of the things that I've just been telling our leaders is that here, here at the mission, we need to keep something in mind, is that we haven't been restored by Christ just to like take a seat, you know what I mean? Like we've been restored by Christ to be sent, to be sent to our homes, to be sent to our families, to be sent to our schools, to be sent to the playground, to be sent to our spouses, to our friends, and even the restaurant across the street like we have been restored by Christ to be sent, not just to take a seat. And so that's what I'm really grateful for. And as followers of Jesus Christ, man, that that should be our thing. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And and really what I hope is that as we do go and connect and love with different people, I hope something kind of cool happens. I hope that they get to come to our home and and we get to go to their home. Like I hope we're connecting with people who know Jesus and people who don't know Jesus, and just maybe even having a meal with them. And the reason I say that is, uh, well, I'll give you one reason. I think there's like a thousand reasons I could probably uh, give you, but here's here's the the one reason I'd give you that is because when I was uh, at my previous church, uh, which was Wallace Avenue Baptist Church. Um, Man, there is this one couple from California, okay? So this one couple from California, they're an older couple, and what they would do is that they would actually invite college students to their home. And so they invite college students to their home every single week to have dinner, and so they say, hey, if you're going to come to my home as a college student, there's just one thing I need you to do, bring a friend who doesn't know Jesus, like, that, that's it. Like, if you come by yourself, okay, cool. But if you can bring a friend who doesn't know Jesus, that would be amazing. And here's the thing you need to know about uh, my friends, this older couple um, from California. They, uh, they love to hang crosses everywhere. Like, the kind of couple who would have crosses hanging on that wall and that wall and on the table. And then they had crosses on a picture frame that were hanging on the wall. You know what I mean? And uh, they had crosses on their shirts. Like, crosses everywhere. And so, uh, some people would call that excessive. You know, they just loved it. So, I didn't say anything. And so, uh, these college students would come and have this dinner. And there was this one night, right, part of this story. This one night where uh, this college student brought one of their friends and so they bring their friend in, and, and and this friend was lost. This friend didn't know Jesus. And you could kind of obviously see it on their face when they walked in that they had not walked into a place with a lot of crosses like that before. They're like, oh, <laughs> what is happening here? What's going on? And so they walk in, you know, their face, and then, you know, they're hanging out. They're sitting, and um, as they're eating dinner, okay, this this lost friend who didn't know Jesus turns over to the friend who invited him. And tried their best to whisper. But you know how people are really bad at whispering. I don't know if any of you are bad at whispering. But leaned over and, and said, um, hey, uh, dude, who cares about crosses, man? Like, don't they know that crosses, like, are not a trend anymore? Like, that trend ended in, like, the early 2000s. Like, that's, that's what this whisper is going on. And so, you know, the lady of the older couple heard of this. And before anyone else could respond, this is what she said. Um, I wrote it down so I didn't forget. This is what she said. She looked at him and said, you know, I have no idea if that trend died in the early 2000s. But what I do know is that our Savior, Jesus Christ, died on a cross 2,000 years ago for my sin and for yours. And uh, when, I told, when, I, when I heard that from them, I was like, ooh, God, you know, that's, that's what I wanted to say. He's like, ooh, God, Um, but it's so true. And what's so just sweet about that story is that that opened up a conversation, like that statement right there opened up a conversation for them to share the gospel and for them to be able to have a conversation of the cross, of like, hey, It's not really the cross itself that's cool, but it's what the cross represents and who the perfect Savior that was hanging on that cross means and what he did and who he is. And he's perfect and he's the promised Savior that was for me and for you. And I was like, wow, that's what I'm talking about. I was like, just invite some college students. You'll never know what happened in your house. Like, that's amazing. And so that's really what we're going to be talking about today is the cross. And so for some of us, this is going to be a simple reminder. And for some of us, we're going to be really challenged this morning uh, from God's word and just what the word has to say. And so let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And we'll be in verse 18. And I'll say Luke chapter 9 about three more times just in case you forget. But as you turn to Luke chapter 9, I just want to remind you a couple things. Uh, We're going to continue our Easter series called Signs. Uh, And as we continue in this Easter series, I just want to remind you that last week we talked about the sign of Jonah. And how Jonah was literally the worst preacher in the world. So it just makes me feel a lot better most of the time. Because he preached in Hebrew a five-word sermon. And in English, an eight-word sermon, and I'm pretty sure in Spanish it was like nine. Like, it was just one of those sermons. I was like, hey, if you don't repent, God's going to like, all right. That's pretty much the whole thing that he said. And so then we see today this, this promised Savior, this historic hope Jesus Again, pointing to something else, not, not really doing a sign and a miracle in front of them, but pointing to something else in the future, which is the cross. Um, and so I'm really excited for that. And then next week, uh, one of my mentors, one of my friends, oh, man, a dear brother of mine. His name is Julio Crespo. He's going to be here, and he's going to be preaching over the crown of thorns, and it's just going to be a really cool sermon, so uh, don't miss out on that. Uh, but then, if you're almost there with me, Luke chapter 9, last thing is that uh, before we read this, we have to understand that Jesus and the disciples have been hanging out for some time now. Uh, like the disciples have really seen a lot of things that Jesus has done. They've heard a lot of things that Jesus has said and they've been around, okay? So they, they've, they've seen and they've heard just a lot of really cool things, things they understood, things they didn't understand and things that, you're, that they're just like, uh, what? You know what I mean? So uh, as you get there, And as you're with me, just keep that in mind. So let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to stand together and read God's word. Luke chapter 9. And then we want to find verse 18. Verse 18. So it says this. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and so others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. And verse 21 says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Praise praise be to God. God. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. When you think about the cross, what do you think of? When you think about the cross, what do you think of? Well, here's what I think of, and this is actually the main idea for us. I think of this, Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. And so today, whenever you're eating lunch with your family or your friends or even by yourself, you can just be asking, okay, what did I even learn in church today? Man, you can look at someone and just think to yourself, man, Jesus in my place. Because it should have been us who died that death. It should have been us. But here's the thing, even if we would have been us, nothing would have happened. Because we're not perfect. We're not God. And so, Jesus in my place is just so significant for us. And I'm going to keep pointing back to that whole main idea. And so to flesh out uh, this passage just a little bit more, here's how I've done it. We have this first point, which is verses 18 to 22. Okay, this first point, 18 to 22, is this, a sign of death, a sign of death. So we're going to see how Jesus pointed to his death here just a little bit. But I just remind you that the disciples in Jesus have really just come out of these moments where they were with a bunch of crowds. So now they're going and they're kind of secluded in private so Jesus could pray and the disciples could, you know, sleep or rest like they usually do. And so they're there. And then, and then Jesus, in this intimate moment, just asks them a question and says, hey, uh, what have you heard? Like, you've, probably, you've been in the crowds. Like, like, what have you heard people say about me? And so they just say things like, you know, maybe John the Baptist or Elijah or these other prophets. And, and here's what I admire about Jesus. There are moments where Jesus, like, teaches people through just asking questions. So he asks these two really significant questions, and the first question is really easy because isn't it easier to just say, hey, they said, <laughs> that's what they say. And then the second question is harder because, like, hey, no, 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 what, what do you say? And so what's interesting about this is that they say, well, you know, they say you're one of these guys, and you know who those guys are? Dead. That's who those guys are. They point to these people who have died. And and what I find interesting about the crowds is that they found it easier to believe that Jesus was like this prophet who'd come back to life rather than thinking that Jesus was the promised Messiah that the Old Testament had been pointing to. Like, I find that really interesting why that'd be easier for them to grasp. But then Jesus asked uh, them one more time, okay, well, what do you, who do you say that I am? Like, tell me, you personally... And it just goes quiet. And so you have this confession of Peter. And Peter's confession is just amazing because, again, it's this whole aspect of Jesus is greater than. So last week we saw that Jesus is greater than Jonah. And now here we're saying, well, Jesus is greater than John the Baptist. Jesus is greater than Elijah. Jesus is greater than all the other prophets put together. He's like top tier. And that's really important because man, the Jewish people saw Elijah and these other prophets as top tier. And Jesus is saying, yeah, 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 those don't even scratch the surface compared to me. And so as we look at this, Peter is confessing that Jesus is God's Messiah, this historic hope, this promised savior, God's anointed one, man, the sacrificial lamb, the perfect and powerful, humble king who came to establish his eternal kingdom. And so I just want to make this personal quick because I, I, I don't want to skim over this because maybe a lot of us have heard that and heard sermon after sermon over this one aspect. But I just do want to make it personal. I want to make it personal because we do need to ask those questions within our own life. And so I really do want you to get either a piece of paper or get your phone out and your notes. And I just want to ask you some questions as well. And so the question I want to ask you just to, just to make it personal is I just want you to think about the people in your life. Who are the the crowds that you hang out with? Who do they believe Jesus to be? And who do they say that Jesus is? It could be good, it could be bad, it could be indifferent, maybe you've never heard them say anything. But the people around you, what do they believe about Jesus and what do they say? And then we want to ask that question again for us is, well, who do we believe Jesus to be? And what do I say about Jesus? Who do I believe Jesus to be? And what do I say about Jesus? And then I want to take it just a little bit step further. Is what I'm saying and what the crowd's saying the same thing? And let's just, let's just put it this way let's say the crowds in our life, maybe they don't know Jesus, so they talk bad about Jesus, so they don't say anything. And let's say, hey, we, we do believe in Jesus, we do know Jesus. Okay. Would this crowd know that? Like, think about that crowd. Would they be able to look at you and say, well, I don't believe in Jesus, but I know that they do? Is it evident to them that you believe and that you know him, that he's transformed you, that he's restored you? You see, I ask this because I'm curious of just how many people are around us or maybe someone in here that would say, you know, I do believe, you know, Jesus did something over there that maybe he, like, saved the world or whatever, But the question is, like, do you know that Jesus came to save your soul? Like, he came to save your soul. Like, you couldn't save yourself. He came to restore your soul because he couldn't restore yourself. And so we have to ask these personal questions because the disciples, I'm assuming, they had a tough time answering that question. So then you have Peter kind of standing out and saying, well, this is, I'm going to say it. So we have to be able to answer this question ourselves. And so then I want to get us to verse 22 because this is really the meat and potatoes, you could say, of why we have this point of the sign of death. So here as we get to verse 22, we have Jesus is emphasizing his death. So it says one more time, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. You see right here, I just find it interesting that, that again, Jesus does, doesn't just do another sign in front of them. Like if you remember last week with, with the prophets or not the prophets, the, uh, the Pharisees that came to Jesus and said, "Hey, Jesus, come on, man, like, give us like a real sign, like a real sign that, that is unmistakable, that we know it's God and, and not the devil, not Satan." And in that moment, Jesus totally could have been like, "All right, uh, you three, I'm just going to levitate you. All right. Everyone else believe?" Because I promise you, if I started levitating, you guys, everyone in here would be like, oh, my gosh, yeah, Jesus is real. Like, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. (laughs) But Jesus didn't do that. He was like, man, if I levitate these people, you're still not going to believe. Here's the sign of Jonah. Here's, Here's the sign of the cross. Because the last thing that they needed was another miracle, another sign. Jesus knew that what they needed was the resurrection. What they needed was for Jesus to die on the cross for their sin and to raise to life after three days. And so here we see that many, many Jews hoped for this Messiah to, to overthrow the Romans. But what Jesus did here is, is Jesus came to overthrow the power of sin. Many Jews wanted the Messiah to come and establish the Jewish kingdom on earth. But Jesus came to establish the everlasting kingdom. That's what he did. Many Jews wanted the Messiah to fight for the Jewish people. Well, Jesus came to take the place of the Jews and the Gentiles and all the above, and he didn't come to fight. He came as the Prince of Peace to die for the sins of all people. That's what he came to do. Many wanted the Messiah to bring this military victory and this nationalistic dominance for the people uh, of the Jews but Jesus didn't do that what Jesus did is that he did come in victory but as a spiritual one and he came with grace and with mercy that's who he is and so Jesus predicting his death on the cross and he's saying I'm going to suffer many things he says the son of man will have to suffer many things but he didn't have to suffer for his own sin he didn't have to suffer for his disobedience He had to suffer for your disobedience and my disobedience, your sin and my sin. Even the sins of the disciples that he was looking at in that moment. And what I like to say is that Jesus understood the assignment. He understood the assignment and did not run away from it. He says, I will suffer and I will gladly suffer for you because I just want you to imagine this. Imagine if Jesus would have just stayed here for like the 2,000 plus years up to now. Imagine if Jesus would just keep on walking around saying, all right, and and you get a miracle, 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 and this is a sign and wonder, and just doing miracles all over the place. Just imagine just with me just for a second that Jesus just kept on doing that and that Jesus was still here doing that. Do you understand that we still wouldn't have restoration we still wouldn't have forgiveness of sins. We still wouldn't have this this bridge and this way to God the Father. Like we would still be dead. Like, like the kind of spiritual dead that you can't work. The kind of spiritual dead that you can't move. Like dead, 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 dead. And so many of us are just like trying to ask, Lord, just give me another sign. Lord, give me another miracle. Lord, just please. And Jesus is like, dude, you don't need another miracle. Like... Like, you need to put your faith and trust in me. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the resurrection. Like, I've already done everything that you need to trust me, to know me, to walk with me. Because if it wasn't for Jesus breaking his body and shedding his blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sins. And so Paul, I love what he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He actually gives a good description of, of maybe what Jews and Gentiles were thinking when it came to the cross. And so Paul says this, Jews demand a sign. Interesting, huh? <laughs> Jews demand a sign and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So maybe that's a little bit of insight of what they were thinking of. The Jews just wanted just another sign and the Greeks and the Gentiles just wanted more wisdom and like, man, that's not really wise. But man, I just hope that we would understand, man, that that what Jesus did on the cross Is something that was necessary for us. And that Jesus wasn't just some kind of puppet who they're like, hey, man, do another miracle. Jesus was like, no, 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 no. I didn't come to perform for you. I'm not your little monkey. The miracles that Jesus did, the signs that Jesus did were not a performance but a proclamation of who he was. A proclamation of power that he had. A proclamation of saying, yeah, I am your Lord, I am your Savior, and I am God. And so that's what Jesus is saying right here, that he needed to die. And we, and and even these disciples and the Jewish people, they needed the death and the resurrection to save them way more than they needed the miracle to impress them. Is really what's happening. So we have this sign of death. And the next thing I want to show you is this sign of life, right? So this is coming from... Uh, verses 23 and 27. And, and as I read this again, you're probably going to laugh because you're going to say, wait, how is this a sign of life? <laughs> like this almost, sign, this almost sounds like the sign of death uh, 1.2 or 2.0. And it's like, well, just hear me out, hear me out. We're going to read the scripture together. So starting in verse 23, I'm just going to read it again. The sign of life, it says this, Then Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is a sign of life, but we have to understand what is life? Like, what does it mean to have life? What does it mean to be able to actually flourish and be alive? And what Jesus is saying is that, man, many of you are just have it twisted up of what it really means to live. Many of you have it twisted up of what it really means to have life because you think having life is having everything you want. You think life is having all the cool stuff and life is being able to travel to all the places and life is never worrying or having anxiety or having depression or having all that kind of stuff. He goes, no, 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 no. What I'm saying is that life is found in me. Jesus is saying life is found only in me. And if you're really my disciples... You're going to deny yourself. If you're really my disciples, you're going to take up your cross. If you're really my disciples, you're going to follow me. And in summary, Jesus is saying, man, my crucifixion, my commitment to you, my assignment to you is to take up my cross to be crucified to the point of death. And Jesus is saying, if you're my follower, are you committed to do the same thing? Are you committed to follow me? Not not just to a physical death, like some of the people in our world have done as martyrs, but are you committed to every single day dying to your flesh? Are you committed to every single day saying, I'm going to elevate Jesus and I'm going to decrease myself? Because what does it mean to deny yourself? What does it mean to say, you know what? I'm going to pick up my cross just like Jesus did and commit myself to dying so that he may live in me. Well, here's a little bit of what that means for us today, this self denial. I just want to say, man, let's be a people who understand that we kind of have to live out Galatians chapter 5. And Galatians chapter 5 has just been just something on my heart, and so I just want to read it to you. So, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, I want you to write this verse down in in your notes and your phone on your Bible, because when it comes to taking up your cross, when it comes to denying yourself, when it comes to following Jesus, man, this is what Jesus is saying. So Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, it says this. So as I walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. I'm just going to read that one more time. They are in conflict with each, with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Isn't that interesting that it says in verse 19 that the acts of the flesh are obvious? Sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then there's verse 22. All right? Verse 22 says this But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That right there, that's, that's following the Lord. That's denying yourself. That's picking up your cross and crucifying the flesh. And check this out. Like, don't miss this. It, it wasn't Peter's confession that brought the kingdom of God. It, it wasn't the disciples going around and doing miracles in Jesus' name that brought the kingdom of God. It wasn't the, the disciples preaching and the disciples' amazing way of expounding the word of God that brought the kingdom of God. It was Jesus that brought the kingdom of God. It was his life, his death, and his resurrection. And he says that whoever believes in him, whoever repents and acknowledges their sin, whoever looks at him and says, man, Jesus, you are Lord, you are Savior, will be saved, will be restored. Man, will be with him forever in eternity, and they will find true life because he is the sign of Of life, because there's so many of us that before Jesus, and we were breathing but not really alive. And when we found Jesus, He breathed life into us. And so again, I just want to point back to the cross of saying when we think about the cross, that means Jesus took our place. Man, He He was there for us. But here's here's what I think happens as believers. Here's what I think happens just as humans. I think sometimes we accidentally put things in the place of Jesus. And then I'm going to go as far as to say sometimes we like intentionally put things in the place of Jesus. And so there's a little statement that I want you to write down again in your notes, on your phone, on your Bible, wherever. And it's this statement right here. And there's a blank. And there's a blank in his place. All right? So I'm going to explain to you a little bit of what this is. I think that there are moments when maybe we're alone. Maybe there are moments when we're angry. Maybe there are moments where maybe we don't feel like living. Maybe there's moments that we just find ourselves in sin. And instead of looking at Jesus and saying, man, Jesus, you took my place. I'm going to lean on you. Jesus, I'm going to lean on the Holy Spirit that's inside of me. Many times we put something in the place of Jesus. And I'm gonna go back to Galatians chapter five and say, man, sometimes do we put impurity in his place? Do we put fits of rage in his place? Do we put selfish ambition in his place? Do we put dissension in his place? Do we put envy in his place? Do Do I put Misael in his place? Do I put my friends in his place? Like, what do I accidentally or intentionally put in the place of Jesus rather than just saying, Jesus, I need you. And as you write those down, I'm going to encourage you just to kind of like scratch every single thing that you wrote down. Just scratch it out and say, man, I'm not going to put this in Jesus' place. I'm not going to put that in Jesus' place. I'm not going to put this in Jesus' place. Because Jesus took my place and, man, he's all I need. Jesus took my place and I need to lean on him and man if it wasn't for him I wouldn't be here I wouldn't be alive and so I want to encourage you with doing that because again for some of you this is just a simple reminder and that's okay but for some of you man this is the moment where you need need to say Jesus I finally understand that you've taken my place because I am sinful and I cannot save myself So what I wanna do is I just wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for us. Because as we look towards next week, as we look towards celebrating Easter together, let's not miss the cross. Because the life of Jesus had to happen first. Then his death on the cross had to happen. And then the resurrection. So let's go ahead and pray together. And Lord, in this moment, I'm just so thankful That we could just take a a simple time to just look at the cross. Take a simple time to just say, Man, Lord, I have put so many things in your place. God, I've put idolatry. God, I've put myself and my own desires in your place rather than crucifying the flesh like you were crucified and live in the spirit. Live in the fruits of the spirit. Lord, thank you so much that you just didn't stay on earth to continue to do miracles. Thank you so much that you knew better than we, that you knew that we needed the resurrection more than we needed another miracle in front of us. God, I'm so grateful. That is a, church family and as a people who are seeking to live out this life in you, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us remember that real life is found in you. God, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.